So I have today the incredible Charles Black, really good friend, really good realtor, uh, my realtor, um, but we'll talk about how he got to Beverly Hills. He's a past president of Beverly Hills Rotary and just an all-around good guy. So welcome to the program, Mostly Banter. Let's banter, Charles. Thank you, good man. It's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me. So let's talk about how did you get here. So I manifested this. Basically, I was dating someone, and uh, she was in New York, and I was in Miami. And we'd always lived in really cool places. Before Miami, I was in Grand Cayman. Um, before that, New Orleans. And we just said, let's, um, New or- Los Angeles is a phenomenal place. Let's, let's get there, one way or another. So it was a, it was a ch- you, you set out to be here. Yeah, set out. It and was, you're born in Louisiana, right? Shreveport, Louisiana. Shreveport, the, that, that mecca of all urban... What, what was the movie Blazing Saddle? The dazzling urbanite of Shreveport, Louisiana. Exactly. Very nice, yeah. very nice. And, and born it, and raised there, still a family there. Yeah, exactly. 30 minutes from Texas, 30 minutes from Arkansas. So in Shreveport, you grew up rooting for the Dallas Cowboys, even though we were in... Louisiana, where you have the Saints, but the, but New Orleans was considered like a foreign country. So we had Todd Johnson on, and I said as soon as somebody said that they were a Dallas Cowboys fan, I says, thank you very much. Let's move on from that. <laughs> so no, it's it's great. That's very cool. So yeah. you grew up a Cowboys fan for football. Yeah. Raphael Septien was the... Uh, was the kicker. Yeah. Wow. Roger Stahlback. That's uh, pretty cool. Yeah. Did you always know you wanted to do real estate? No. No, I did not. Um, in school, I studied French and international business. And then fell in. Where was school? Uh, Loyola, New Orleans. Okay. And then I did a um, semester in uh, Belgium at a place called Louvain-la-Neuve. Okay. And um, yeah, and I did a summer program in Angers in France. And I know your background, if I remember right, was in hospitality and that you were in the hotel industry for quite a while. Yeah, so I fell into hotels, uh, went from a three-diamond Radisson hotel where uh, rates back in the day, this is like in the... I don't even know what year it was, but rates were like $59 a night. What does three diamond mean compared to like five diamond? I mean, is there a yeah. 10 diamond or what's the no, diamond? So you've scale? got AAA does diamond ratings okay. and Forbes does your star ratings. Okay. So the creme de la creme is a five. Forbes five. What would a five be? Like a resort level with everything going on? Resort what's a five level with hotel? everything going on. You're going to have um, uh, linens. Like whatever. is the Peninsula Hotel a five? Absolutely. And the Beverly Hills Hotel is a five? Absolutely. Okay. But there are requirements that they have to have in every single category. So from housekeeping to laundry to um, culinary spa and all that, that are requirements to be a five-star uh, caliber hotel. Got it. So what's a four-star? One less? Yeah. So like I was at, so I went from a Radisson to La Meridian. La Meridian was a four diamond at the time. So you would have um, nice, elegant service, but um, you're not going to have it. It's not going to be over the top. Okay. Um, and it's not going to be priced over the top. Yeah, and you might. Are most Ve- Las Vegas hotels four four diamond, probably four or four yeah, star type yeah. of thing. Are stars and diamonds the same? They're just no. Different? So stars are usually. It's not uncommon to have a hotel that's five star, and five diamond, but it's also not com- uncommon to have one that's five diamond but four star. So yeah, that would seem like Forbes, which stars used to are be, a little harder to obtain yeah. than a diamond. And that came from mobile. So it used to be the mobile five-star rating, then Forbes bought them out. Nice. Okay. So what was the first hotel you started at? The Radisson Hotel New Rad- Orleans. Radisson New Orleans. On Canal Street, 759 Canal. guest rooms. Wow. And so this place was not by any means a luxury hotel, but I got free food at the cafeteria. And then when I got 
had clients over, I could take them to LaSalle's or Praline's, which were their two restaurants. Wow. And so for me, you know, I mean, I'm not making any money. I just graduated from college. This is like Free food a dream. sounds good. Dream. Yeah. 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 Sounds good. And I stayed at the Hyatt, which was pretty well known at yeah. the time. One by the Superdome? Yeah. yeah. Uh, right across. You yeah. could walk exactly. right over to Superdome. And of course, that hotel was devastated in Katrina and that it was like you could see where the rooms were, but everything got sucked out of the rooms and the windows were all gone. It was just devastating. Yeah. Have you been back to New Orleans since the... One or? time. So I left in 03. When was the hurricane? 07. How... So you saw it in 03. So I left in 03. Everything's great. Yeah. I go to Grand Cayman. Keep in mind, I go to Grand Cayman. I'm there until September 12th of 2004. So the day after September 11th, obviously. Right. And we got hit by a, it was a direct hit by a Category 5 hurricane. We were due to open the Ritz-Carlton Grand Cayman two months later. But because of that, it leveled the island, leveled the hotel. Um, we were all relocated to different places. They moved me to Miami. But we had to do one year of deconstruction. So wait, I, I, I'm just sure I'm getting the timeline right, because this is an important yeah. topic that I don't know about you. Did you leave after the hurricane? No, no, we were there. You were there. So how does one survive a hurricane? <laughs> well, first Fair question. Yeah, first thing I'll tell you is that no one should ever die in a hurricane because, number one, you have the opportunity to evacuate. So when I was in Miami or New Orleans, you have that opportunity. And keep in mind when I say How no, do you evacuate? You can't take a plane. It's too windy. Yeah, so there we couldn't evacuate. We right. basically had a plane that could have picked us up, but they made the call that, like, no, it's going to go west of us, so we'll be okay. No, it's going to go east of us. So we'll be okay. Don't worry about it. Well, if you look at this old hurricane, Hurricane Ivan, it goes to the island of Jamaica. And for whatever reason, the path, when it hit Jamaica, it went due west, which pr pushed it further west. And now it's coming straight for us. And the actual hot eye of the hurricane hit Grand Cayman. Wow. And it just leveled everything. Leveled it. And how did you survive? So we had, at the time, we had... 30, uh, what we call at Ritz-Carlton, ladies and gentlemen. So we had 30 employees that were on island preparing for the opening. We all moved into three different houses that were, you know, hurricane um, caliber. There were new construction and things like that. And the 10 of us um, were in each of the three different houses. And you're I just... Mean, is you're, there you're food? Everything's all there? So we had food. We were part of the Ritz-Carlton, so we had a lot of, like, stash. Uh, I happened to be in the house with the banquet chef. Uh, he was one of my roommates um, who's used to doing dinners for, like, you know, 300, 600 yeah. people. So we're set so there. So 30's no problem. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're good there. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I remember in Scary? one Scary? Were you afraid for your life? No, never, never afraid for my life. That's why I say, like, if you go outside and you're going to try to fix things or try to, you know, yeah, I want to go to work yeah, today. I'm you're driving gonna, down the road. Yeah. yeah. And when I say no one should die in a hurricane, keep in mind there are people that don't have structurally sound homes. Um, and so, yeah, they will die. I mean, you hear these stories a lot of times. Obviously, if there's flooding and you just, you know, like what happened with Katrina, that's how, a whole other level. Not to go quickly, but how long did it take to normalize and to get you guys out of there? Was it the next day? Was it a week? About a week. So you're there a week with basically no power. No, nothing, or how does it? Yeah, we have a generator. Even the, the gas tanks um, at the filling stations were like ripped out. So you have no gas for cars. Uh, we had generators that we would use to charge our cell phones. We had one, um, what was it? Uh, whatever it was, the type of phone that you can use anywhere. Um, 
I forget what platform it was, but it was like anyone that we needed to reach, we could, you know, have communication with that. So now you're with 10 people and... And is the airport runway? No, nothing. Not, we couldn't do anything. We had no planes. So but, the, well, no, I'm saying to get you out, a week later, a plane comes oh, in. Oh, yeah. So out. they had to charter a plane for us. But, the, um, but for those 10 days, I think it was 10 days, maybe seven at the shortest, we were all together. This is in the month of September, super hot, super humid, and we're not taking showers. Yeah, that must have been a, so, a lovely, lovely yeah, time. Yeah. That's not resort living. No, it's not. So when we left, though, when we left and they flew us to the Ritz-Carlton Coconut Grove, we found these boxes of logo wear. So it was polo shirts, khakis, and all that. So we all got the nicest clothes that we could find that were clean, and we put them on. And then for me, um, I got a comb, and I can remember fixing my hair, and I had a nice part, and everything looked nice. And when we got to the hotel, first off, they, they, someone asked me, they said, I can't believe you even took the time to put you know, hair product in. Well, what they didn't realize, it was like 10 days of just built-up grease. Oh. <laughs> and, oh. and that's not like you because you dress impeccably yeah. and you're just and, Mr. Dapper. Yeah, so you got these people that are coming in with brand new polo shirts. We look good yeah. on the surface, except for not being shaven. Yeah. Then you got Ritz Carlton, who's known for their warm welcomes. Yeah. So they see this group coming in. They want to you know welcome us, put us all in great rooms. We yeah. finally have private rooms and showers. But the odor was just, they just said it was horrific. Yeah. Oh, poor people. That's not good. So... Now, a dumb question that you may not know the answer to. It is really kind of dumb. How long does it take to rebuild that, or did they rebuild it? Yeah, they did. So they did. It took them about a year of uh, deconstruction, and then they started to do the reconstruction because all the um, – so the problem with that particular building was it wasn't enclosed when the hurricane hit, and so it went inside. All the sliding doors, though, had Blown been, out. They'd been – yeah, they'd been installed. They were destroyed. Uh, the pool. So now cracks. you have to demolish and start over. Almost, yeah. And that's all, like a year, basically. Well, you're not yeah. redigging a hole for the yeah. pool. That's already there, of course. But so it takes now it's a year to get it because it's, again, it's it's an island. It's a little island. It's not like, okay, you can truck things in. Yeah. So everything. So that slows things way down. And now you are sitting there and you're the owner of this company or you're the insurance company. And this is an endless pit <laughs> of money to rebuild. And I'm sure somebody in, the, in a room was deciding, should we or shouldn't we do this? But now how long did it take them to rebuild it, to actually build it up? So a year to, t a year to take it down, get rid of everything to Probably. where we're going to rebuild. Probably another year. Did they... Put it back the way it was, yeah, or did they build it, in, you know, bigger, better, stronger? Dot, dot, dot. No, they just took back to the original design, and it's phenomenal. It's operating extremely well. The guy who was our number two at the time, a guy named Marc Langevin, is um, still the general manager there to this day. He's a French guy, and um, it's, uh, Pretty it's cool. doing extremely well. Yeah, Eric Repair, who has the uh, restaurant in New York, yeah. he opened one at the restaurant called Blue, which uh, is still to this day doing well. What's the occupancy? How many rooms were there? I can't, that I can't remember. What ballpark was it? Uh, 500? No, no, no. Probably like 180. 180, okay. 200. And then it had a residential component. So this is my foray into luxury real estate. residential real estate. Got it. That seems popular in that uh, I took a trip to Phoenix for my daughter's 16th birthday or something like that. We took a friend and we stayed at the Biltmore. Mm -hmm. Now it's coming back to me. And the Biltmore put us in a suite 
which is owned privately, and they service it. So it was a very interesting way of staying. So you're at the Biltmore. You're not in the main buildings. You're like in a private, residence. separate residence. Yeah. And it was, it was just it was interesting. And from what I, I, I've learned is that seems more common than one would think. Yeah, and so what they'll do is that the builder developers will use the sales from the residences to fund the rest of the construction uh -huh. and the project. So you'll get people to come in a lot of times below market value. Um, and make purchases on the vision that they've created. So we also had Greg Norman Golf and um, uh, what was it, Jean-Michel Cousteau for uh, a program called Ambassadors of the Environment. So you have all these brands, La Prairie Spa, that instills confidence that it's going to be one of the best resorts in the Caribbean. So people are now like, yeah. We and hey, we can go vacation in our own place. Yeah. And yet we still have um, hotel, fine hotel service for, for housekeeping and for everything else that's there. Exactly. And it's sort of you're not all by your lonesome in a house. You don't have to worry about it and that it's taken care of. So that's yeah. a good thing. And then there's a rental program for the units or the residences. So then when you're not there and it's used by the hotel guests, yeah. as you mentioned, then a percentage of that would go to the owner. Yeah. Yeah. Probably a small percentage, but it's a yeah. percentage. Yeah. You know, I know how you guys operate in the yeah. hotel business. So you leave there. And if I remember, where you came to Beverly Hills from there? No. So then from there, I joined a company called IMI. So okay. now at this point, this company is doing purely luxury um, real estate developments for um, resorts. And you're still single at this time? Still single, but all these projects, again, to your point, have a residential component. So we were launching the residential side. So you've got Fairmont Anguilla, Raffles St. Lucia, Mandarin Oriental St. Kitts, uh, Raffles Tortola, and... It sounds to me you're speaking a foreign language, never been to any of these places. And Fairmont Anguilla. You've never been to them because we did this. I left Ritz-Carlton in 07, and we marketed, promoted all these properties through August of 08. And then overnight, the entire Caribbean division was shut down. All those projects went belly up. So all the logos, all the things that we had, um, they never, never came to fruition. I think Mandan Oriental St. Kitts did eventually open up, but the other ones that I was involved with Interesting. Just so you leave the Caribbean. No. Where do you go? No. no. So then I do a quick stint at um, Capjaluca and Anguilla. And the managing director at the time was actually the managing director of Windsor Court Hotel in New Orleans. So he was the one that kind of brought me in. They were also launching a residences at Capjaluca. So we assisted with that. And then is when my girlfriend and I at the time decided to manifest our dream job, which would be to work somewhere in Los Angeles. Got it. And that's so now we're back to we're, we're up there. That's a long story to yeah. get to where we are hurricanes <laughs> yeah. and, and failed real estate development deals and all kinds of stuff. So, where do you live in LA when you come here? So, uh, so when I would come, I was staying at the old um, uh, Lamartage. Okay. And so I'm on a trip, and so she's like, she landed these. The one just outside of Beverly Hills? Yeah, yeah. yeah, in Burton Way. So she lands these two new accounts, though, she's telling me about. One is called Montage, and she's like, Charles. You need to meet with these guys. I think you're going to love them. And then the second one where these guys are just starting off this new company, her PR firm that she worked for in New York was um, handling these accounts. McCallum was another one, Scotch and all that. Do you so, know the wait, history? Go ahead. I, I just want to interrupt you on, yeah. the, on the property, the history of the property, where the montage is. Yes. Okay. Because yeah. that, for people that don't know, that is a property that is on Cannon that goes to Beverly Drive. So those are two parallel streets just north of Wilshire. And the Cannon side was the Gucci building. And it was a major project to get it developed. It took 
many, many years. I don't remember how many before they could even get going. And then they built this fabulous property. So continue. So then, um, so when I, when I, my girlfriend was, oh yeah. So the, the other company she was working for just sounded so stupid. And it was these guys that were in San Francisco and they were living in an apartment together and there was some convention coming in town. There are no hotel rooms anywhere. So they said, let's, um, rent out, you know, get people to rent their rooms out, we'll manage it. And they called this company Airbnb. So she's uh, representing them as well at this time. And this so is So like, these two doofuses <laughs> that you just called stupid formed Airbnb. Crazy idea. Yeah. 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 I understand. Yeah. yeah. The same idea with the guy with FedEx. We're going to get packages to go what? The same idea with a guy that's going to start a book company and uh, eventually, let me call it Amazon Books. All the above. Yeah, all the above. I understand. So sure. then, so, so she's like, you got to meet these, these, this team at Montage. I could really see you, you know, being with them one day. So then Scott Conant with Scarpetto was in the process of opening his restaurant and she was able to get me invited to the launch and the opening. And my old friend, Herman Elger, who used to be the Ritz Carlton GM in uh, Cancun, just moved here to oversee that project, met all these people and then went back to that hotel and I said to myself, and I told her, I go, I'm not just moving to LA, but I'm going to move to Los Angeles and I'm going to work for Montage Beverly Hills. And I don't care if it's going to take two years or three years, but this is what I'm going to do. And then one week later, we received an announcement that the director of sales and marketing resigned. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. How is this going to work for me now? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's great though. I hopped on. Um, flew in, you know, expressed my interest to everyone and, uh, flew there in November, had to go to a, a conference in France, travel conference, met some more people with Montage. Now, did you we, love the industry at the yeah, time? Yeah, I did love it. Yes. I still do. I think it's spectacular. It's just 24 seven. It's a lot. Yeah. But it's, um, yeah, it's a, um, phenomenal industry. So is real estate. I was just thinking about that. It's like, so you jumped off of one fire right into the other, but, but. Let's go ahead. But that one, you have to physically be there, whereas a lot of times for real estate, you're doing it on your phone. Yeah, or you know, on a computer. Email, yeah, yeah, and all that. I got it. Um, but yeah, so then joined, and it was just a perfect um, perfect opportunity. How long were you there? Move. Almost four years. Uh, I think it was, uh, yeah, January 8th was my flight from Miami to um, Los Angeles, and then started uh, January 11th. And then June 14th, I'm mean, sorry, June of 2014, I went to Hilton and Highland. And what was interesting about that was that one- So why'd you leave? Just to get into so real estate? So I'd been with them, I think, four years. And the, the sales and marketing department was in a great place. We we're kind of in a plateau. And so I knew that like my, my time here is done in this capacity. And so I met with James Birmingham, who was the uh, COO, and expressed my interest to do something different, whether that means operations or even perhaps uh, in acquisitions and development and helping them grow the company. But I made it real clear that I love the company, but I was ready for something different. And then just like that email came through about the uh, lady who um, uh, resigned, I get this call from this headhunter out of somewhere east of San Francisco in the middle of nowhere. And he's like, I've got a great opportunity. It sounds like your background could be very fitting for what they're looking for. It's called Hilton and Highland. And I have no idea who Jeff is. I mean, you know, obviously, I know Rick. Now, the late, the late Jeff yeah. uh, Highland. Exactly. Uh, 
titan, you know, yeah. in real estate. And of yeah. course, Tilton, the, the, the name is what it is. Yeah. And the agents they had, the deals they were doing was mind blowing. And so for me, it was like, it just sounded neat. I was like, this sounds great. Interview done. Let's do it. And then it was when I got there that I realized, wow, wow, like I really hit the jackpot on being in this unique, you know, brokerage that's the single smallest producing luxury brokerage in the world. Yeah. And um, shortly afterwards, they closed on the sale of uh, the Marcus Pearson purchase. This is the guy that created Minecraft up okay. on Hillcrest. So like it was 74 million. And then we uh, rewarded the listing for Playboy Mansion, um, which was, I think the second sale, just over 100 million at the time. But it was just mind blowing. Yeah. Um, is there a team? I mean, this is if you can't say I understand, yeah. it might be, and and, and th you don't have to answer if, if it's uncomfortable. Is there a team of people that are involved with the transaction like that, or yeah. is it just numbers? No, it's you know, so Jeff can handle it, or you know, on his own, and he's just saying, okay, here's what we're doing, and get a transaction coordinator to handle the paperwork. You know, like like they make it out a million dollar listing in ten minutes, the deal was done. That's not exactly the real world at least so I have experienced, maybe you've experienced differently. No, well, so on the listing side was, um, uh, it was co-brokered with the agency. So you had um, Drew Fenton with Hilton and Highland and Gary Gold was involved and then Mauricio and his team on that side. And so there were definitely different approaches to the marketing style, um, as you can imagine with the two, you know, various brands. Well, stop there for people that aren't dealing in $100 million, $70 million properties. Marketing, in my opinion, of a property in today's world is far more important than anyone gives a credit for to. Even the people that are, oh, I need to market this property. It's very important in my mind. Do you agree with that? Yeah, and, and how much marketing goes into something like that? You said two different approaches or multiple approaches. Well, and that's a can challenge. Can you overmarket something? You can overmarket and you can send mixed messages. And so keep in mind that there's also, you know, uh, you can't deny that there's going to be an ego involved when you have a listing like that. I mean, it's known all over the world. You've got people talking about it all over the world. It was also... Um, you know, two brands that I would put, you know, Ritz, I mean, um, Hilton and Highland is more of a reserved conservative brand. And the agency at that time was just all over the place yeah. and about wild parties and all Shock that. Shock and awe. Yeah. And so those two approaches of marketing were happening at the same time. So I would say the Hilton and Highland approach was to focus on the estate and the property. And the agency approach seemed to be more about the brand, the Playboy brand. Yeah, the wow. Yeah, the yeah. wow factor, too. Which it, there's yeah. nothing wrong with no, either. No, no, they're both yeah. fine approaches. Yeah. It's just which one's right. I don't know that those are conflicting. I think those are kind of working parallel. There's not, there's not an issue to that. But it, for average, average people selling a home or buying a home, marketing's important. I always have um, my wife, Orly, always tells me in the world, like, oh, you look at the pictures, and the pictures make the place look great, and you show up, and it's like, yuck. That works negatively and positively. Yeah. If like you, you and I worked on something, uh, it's it's like it looks so much better. Yeah. And then when you, sh it's like it's a disappointment. So you don't trust that listing agent, as an example. You're trying to show it in its best light. The other side to that would be, what am I trying to show some piece of property in its worst light? Yeah. You know, I don't know where the balance or the middle is, but it's a challenge. What do you do on that? I mean, are you trying to just make it look its best? Make it look its best um, based on the 
ultimate ROI that you're going to get on the money that you spend, right? And so there's a way you could What take, does an agent typically spend on a listing? Well, let's back up. We're talking, if it's, it's physical- I don't mean actual dollars or percentage yeah. that you're affixing to it. You can say as a rule of thumb, 10% of the agent's expected gross income should be spent on marketing. Okay. Um, but then the, the rehab is up to the, the seller. That's their responsibility. Right. And so usually I'll put three plans together. One is what I would call you know, lipstick on a pig, which means make it look nice, shine the floors, paint the walls and all that. Um, then you can go high end. What's trending? Is it the light, you know, light uh, French oak flooring or things like that? We're going deep into real estate, which is fun. Yeah. So you and I do this a lot. Yeah. yeah. But you have those approaches. Then you, you know, give your estimated valuation for the sales price at each of those. And then the client determines two things. One, do they want to spend the money? Or two, do they have the stomach or the time for it? Or do they just want to get it on the market and move it? Interesting. And, and do you have a certain template that you like to do or do you like that here's three options let's go with these three when you list something no it feels for me have to get a sense of the actual property and then um look at you know the strengths and weaknesses of it from a buyer's perspective and then what do we need to do and i'll tell them the bare minimum like you absolutely if you don't do this you're doing a disservice to yourself and you're going yeah. to lose money yeah um, well it's not even this even the lose money part of it it may not sell yeah you know, exactly. if something appears Which, clean and fresh yeah. because you made it clean, you actually had it clean yeah. and you made it fresh because it's now actually fresh, it doesn't really matter what it looks like, so at least it's likely to sell. Yeah. So back to you and your, your timeline. So you're at Hilton and Highland, and then I know you from Christie's. So, well, Christie's was, um, Hilton and Highland was a affiliate of Christie's. Aha, okay. And so that would just be another way to have more international reach and then you've got a group of brokerages in various markets that you would refer business to and vice versa um but what's interesting going back to that is that the um you know going back to the marketing of the playboy mansion is that you know we did absolutely everything you've got you know press releases that are written in mandarin you've got you know uh, magazines in the middle east you've got absolutely everything and yeah. were you a part of the transaction not part of the transaction, but part of the team um, involved in like putting the marketing together. And, and that's my point, though. That's what I'm getting to. So you get to be, you're a part of the table to say, hey, I was involved in the sale of this historic property. It's yeah. a part of your resume and how you got to where you are. Yeah, you may not I, I wouldn't, the, for me, I wouldn't promote it um, heavily. It's not on my resume anywhere in my bio. Um, no, I understand but yeah. that, but it, it is in your mind and yeah. that it's an, it's an accomplishment that, hey, I'm here, yeah. that when I'm in Louis Shreveport, Louisiana, who would have thought that I would have been involved <laughs> in participating, even yeah. though my name isn't on the listing, in the sale of an iconic property yeah. in Los Angeles and, in this instance, in Holmby Hills, which is you know right outside of Beverly Hills. Right. So that's kind of cool. And I think it's important to note that when you're marketing a, a real estate property, it doesn't matter if it's a 500,000 condo or the Playboy Mansion, you're marketing to the general public, the consumers, the buyers, and you're also marketing to the sellers or whoever you know owns the property. And what I mean by that is that you have to instill confidence that you are doing everything in your power to find the buyer, to have the most you know, maximum reach with your marketing. 
Um, and they expect that. And especially at that level and the commission that you're going to be making, they expect you to put out, you know, significant, significant amount of money. Well, we've gone way, way, way too deep into real estate. Wait, can I add one thing though? Yes. Because this is the, the, the icing on the cake. So do you know what door knocking is? Yes, of course. Yeah. So you go to people's doors. For and all people that. that don't know, it's, it's an agent or somebody in the industry. Hey, you would, they introduce themselves and you never know enough door knocking. You knock on enough doors. Somebody's going to say, you know what? I was just thinking of selling or buying a house. Can you help me? So that's not something I've ever done. It's not something I ever want to do. But looking back, that would have been the most effective initiative to sell the Playboy Mansion because the next door neighbor actually, actually bought, it. bought it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's development, which is fun to do. So I want to do two yeah. things because I don't want to go deep into real estate because I can hear people nodding off as we're talking <laughs> about it because that's just stuff that interests you and me. Yeah. Let's talk more fun. So um, you're married. Yes. You have two wonderful kids. And um, How's and a wonderful going? wife. And a wonderful wife. She's wonderful. I, well, well. That was put up on the T for you. And a wonderful <laughs> wife, Mele, who's just incredible. Yeah. Um, how's that going? Everything going good? Uh, how's it going? As I told I you, if you keep feeding the kids, they grow. Yeah. You know, and, and that's all. You're, you're right in the tight age. How old are your children? Uh, six and eight. Great. And it's the most awesome thing in the world. Um, something I couldn't imagine ever being as awesome as it is, but it's also the most difficult, the most challenging Um but, um, but to put it in perspective of how far I, I've come is that I can remember watching movies about uh, people who get a divorce and then the, uh, the parents are fighting over custody for the children. And I literally remember thinking if I was in my twenties or something like, why, why would they do that? Yeah. Like, why not just let the other person take care of the kids? You can have fun, do whatever you want, go skiing and all that. And, um, and then you have, you've got the best life ever. And then finally realize, I'm like, okay, I get it. Now you have it's a like, kid. Yeah, it's this get. unconditional love that you can't comprehend. And it's, uh, yeah, the greatest gift I've ever had. Nice. And Melly feels the same? She does. She feels the same. And she's also like... I don't mean about the kids. I meant about you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good question. So <laughs> let's circle to Beverly Hills. Yes. Because most of your, that I've known you as Beverly Hills. You're a former president of Beverly Hills Rotary. And you kind of hang out Beverly Hills. That's kind of your network. Yeah. Why? Um, and yeah, and just and not to pat my own, myself on the back, but also chairman of the Beverly Hills Chamber of Commerce. Oh, very Past cool. Chairman. Yeah, very cool. And the reason I say that That's is, a, did did you enjoy that time? Yeah, loved it. That was a blast. It was just it was a walk in the park. Todd Johnson and his team run a great ship. So all it is is be here at this time, and uh, we'll tell everyone you're the chairman, and you look cool, and that's it. Yeah. Um, some decision making, obviously, some meetings and all that, but it's not um, not nearly as difficult as being president of Rotary. So, well, wait, as I've said, we have two presidents of Rotary that get a complete pass. One is Sharona Nazarian and one is Charles Black. They were one right after the other or vice versa. It doesn't matter. They had the the helm steering the ship right during the pandemic and COVID. And it was extremely challenging for both of you. So you get a pass on doing that and that you had to work a lot harder in Rotary. So thank you for that. Thank you for the service. And I thank Sharona for her service too. But why Beverly Hills at the end of the day? Well, I mean, it just came to this, you know, opportunity at Montage, which I just said, you know, I mean, I flew here, was going to be in LA because I love it. I love LA. I love the fact that you've got the beach, you've got the mountains, you've got the desert. I mean, it's just a phenomenal place. Um, and the people too, like I loved Miami, but when I moved, but I always felt like a foreigner in Miami. 
Uh, when I moved to L.A., I uh, felt at home in every regard from the day I was here. And I was like, I'm supposed to be here. I think to be an Angelino, you can become one quicker than anywhere else. Mm -hmm. If I were to move to New York, I don't become a New Yorker. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. There's, it's totally. a harder totally. thing. It <laughs> probably takes a lot longer to become a Cajun yeah. moving to Louisiana. Eventually, you'll get the label. You'll have kids. The kids get it, and then by a, by a, you know sort of association, you get it. But I think when people come to California in general, I don't know how it is now in the crazy, crazy world that we live in, but when I was growing up, it was just perfection. I mean, mm. there was California was the finest state, in my opinion, in the country by far. Not even, number two, whatever you want to call number two, you needed binoculars to look down to see it. Um, now, not so much because mm -hmm. it's probably, you know, all of the negatives certainly have gotten bigger and the positives, it's harder to keep up. So yeah. traffic, mind boggling, right? All of those different things. And, and you build it in. It's still right. incredible. I mean, the weather out here recently has just been, you know, we don't want to tell anybody because then more people will come. It's just been spectacular out here. But it's harder to go the other way. So um, for you to adapt to L.A., I think it wasn't that much of a challenge because that's the culture here versus going the other way. Yeah. When you go home, do you feel odd now? Yeah. Like if you go back to, I shouldn't say home, but if you go back to Shreveport? It's, it's different. And there are times when I'm just like, it's different. But I will say, I mean, joke that I was like, you know, I don't know how God does this. You might know this, but like when he or she or... Are you saying I'm God? I, I just know you're a smart guy. Okay. So you might already have an answer and you can tell nah, me. No, I doubt it. But when he or she is up there and deciding when someone's born where they're going to live, I really think he was having an off day. And I think he's like, hey, yeah, put him in L.A. And uh, Wait, Let's go into a deep question. Is there God? No, 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 that's not for this podcast. But, they, but I think that the, whoever he said that to, I think he meant Los Angeles, but they thought Louisiana. And so then that's why I was born there. <laughs> well, you know, I asked, I asked a lot of people, has life turned out the way you thought it would so far? you got a long way to go. Um, has it turned out the way I thought it would? No, not in a million years. Better or worse? Oh, way better. Way better. Yeah. Way better. Well, that's a cool thing. Yeah. Any regrets? Um, I would say if I have regrets, I can't really classify them as regrets because most of those regrets... You would want a do-over. Yeah, do-over. Do but, but because of those things or decisions or actions, they've made me the person I am today. Yeah. And so... Um, I love the person. Everything I lines up. Yeah. And there's got to be some sort of divine yeah. intervention on how people meet each other and they, yeah. they end up associating. How do people become friends and how did you and I become friends? You know, and I, I also think for people age and I think you're one of them age of somebody wouldn't determine who you're friends with. And, I, and that's me. I have friends that are older than I am substantially. I have a lot of friends that are younger um, I don't know that I'm as relatable to younger people as I think, but I don't look at age as it's yeah. an obstacle to anything as far as me being a friend with somebody. I'm always interested in people's lives and in their stories. It's, so It's chem chemistry. There's a chemistry yeah. that you have with certain people. And a positive and yeah. a negative sometimes. It's like somebody might be interested in things good for them. Um, water wells in Malawi, Africa, as we've mentioned, that's not really my jam. You know, Charles is laughing because it's just, it's really not my jam, but I'm thrilled to be a part of an organization that that is yeah. people's jam. And other people are, you know, in, in certain 
lanes that I'm just not in, but I'm really happy because I learn about them, and by me participating, I'm sort of in there, um, yeah. and, and it's all good. How much balance do you get of just hangout time in L.A., Beverly Hills, family time and everything else in business? That's the tough thing for me in Los Angeles. So for me, I find that the balance, which you know, was in management for a long time, but now as a solo real estate agent, the um, balance is much better with my family, with my kids. Um, and that's, you know, you'll have your days that are busy and you've got your uh, weeks that are busy and then you've got some slower valleys. And so during those periods, I take advantage of it and do what I can to. You know, I, I always use the word diamonds and facets. And if you're really going to be a good real estate agent and you're really going to be a, a good plumber, you're going to be a really good lawyer when there's downtime. That doesn't mean, okay, nothing to do. If anything, that's great because there's downtime that allows you to do other things mm -hmm. for your career, for your personal life that you could do better, you could work on, or you could build skill sets to. Um, it is going to be a slower time, as you and I have talked about, in real estate. Do you see that for Beverly Hills? I'm cautiously optimistic that we're going to be in a better place in the spring. I mean, everything I'm say seeing is that 2025 is going to be a very good year. 2024 is going to be better than 2023. Um, how much better we'll see. But I think, you know, what's most important is in real estate is your mindset. And the other thing that's important is relationships. And so that's why, you know, the more people you speak with and you interact with, the more successful you're going to be in real estate. It's a fact. Well, that's from a professional standpoint. But I was thinking more of a, you know, what, a development standpoint. Like we have some fascinating projects yeah. that are coming into Beverly Hills. And in a slower real estate market, it's probably good because these are big development projects right. that now's the time to be building them and developing community and seeing real estate, not the transactional part of it, but actually the improvement part of it. The, um, I, I think it was Todd Johnson used the word, you know, some of the areas that sort of got a little tired, they get built back up then. You yeah. know, it's like, just look all over. There's pockets in everywhere in Los Angeles that were, you know, a little troubled, a little challenged. And now they're flourishing because, hey, the market came down. Now we can reinvest into that area or Correct. it's it's inexpensive enough for, to move there. Um, and a dear friend, Sid Leibovich, who's a broker that in, mm -hmm. in town, he owns Rodeo Realty, said to me something that, that always resonated, you know, is all you have to do is find where people will find their value. In other words, they, they know what they can afford. Mm -hmm. People, every level, oh, I'd like to have this, it's better, et cetera. Um, but as all you have to do is show them how much more you get in the different areas. Right. So, well, I don't want to go to the valley, but then you show somebody a nice area in the valley, whether it's Encino or North Valley, wherever it is, it's like, oh, wow, I get this. I never thought about having that, whereas you wouldn't have it on the west side of L.A. Yeah. Beverly Hills is a unique market because when we throw out numbers on a podcast like this, somebody sitting in Shreveport, Louisiana, or I'm guessing a magnificent family home, and a typical family home is two to $500,000. I'm just guessing. I have no idea that you can buy a very nice neighborhood and you're there. In Huntsville, Alabama, it's going to be the same. Um, in Beverly Hills, I don't know if that covers the guest house you know, just a guest house in a small home in Beverly Hills, if somebody was to do an auxiliary dwelling unit, it's not going to cover anywhere near the cost to even get that property going. Yeah. So we kind of live in fantasy dollars do. here. But I definitely like 
the developments that are coming to Beverly Hills, what do you think? We had one that didn't get passed by the voters, and we have one that's beginning. Tell me what your thoughts are. Yeah, so Cheval Blanc, I think, would have been a phenomenal uh, addition to Rodeo Drive, and obviously it was decided or voted upon not to move forward with that. I think what they're doing with the collection of hotels with Waldorf Astoria, Beverly Hilton, and then the one is going to be absolutely mind-blowing. And the reason being is that you've got Waldorf Astoria, which is already doing a great job, great product. Beverly Hilton is such an iconic hotel. For people that don't know, again, we have to go for people. You and I know Beverly Hills, and I I grew up here. Uh, Merv Griffin bought the Beverly Hilton Hotel, I'm going to say, in 1970s or something like that. And it was a good blend for, I don't want to call it elite luxury hotel stay. It wasn't. It was wonderful. The tourists could come at a reasonable price and a very iconic property that felt very high end. So Mm -hmm. it it sort of hit a lot of sweet spots and a lot of different things. And it's on the corner of Santa Monica and Wilshire, which is iconic in itself. Um, It's it's the, the main point of the triangle coming from the Westwood area and coming from different areas. And now this development is going to go west of Toward, towards Westwood, and it is going to be a, uh, I don't want to mean it cluster as in bad, I mean cluster as in good development that it seems will serve the community mm-hmm. with a lot of interesting things for education and um, uh, foliage and development like that and education to work with the Beverly Hills Unified School District, and it's going to go for the luxury, and it's going to go for residential, and it's going to go for retail. So I, I, I'm with you on that. And um, Todd Johnson, again, not to refer to Todd, but we had just talked to Todd a little while ago, um, said what also is good, it's all targeted towards the Olympics. Mm-hmm. So you agree with that? Um, I mean, I think the Olympics obviously are going to, impact a lot of the decisions that are being made but i think a lot of these decisions were not i mean olympics is you know only a certain period of time well that's with the 84 olympics which you weren't here and probably weren't even born um it was a it was completely the opposite of what people were afraid of here the residents were all afraid this is going to be a traffic jam our lives are going to be horrible etc etc and that worked to the advantage that the traffic could not have been better. There wasn't any. Right. You go anywhere you wanted. Either people that are residents all left town or they all hunkered down like it was a pandemic. And you could really enjoy Los Angeles for what it is. I mean, growing up, you could go from the San Fernando Valley to Anaheim in 40 minutes. Okay. Now that drive would be 40 minutes if it was at two o'clock in the morning. But if it's at most normal times, that could be an hour and a half, two hours, sometimes, and I'm not exaggerating it, three hours because that's how crazy it is so i think the olympics coming like you said it's a short window but people build up to it like we look forward to holidays people look forward to christmas and hanukkah and all kinds of great holidays and seasonal and then when it's over there's a little bit of a letdown maybe that's what it'll be but does that affect the real estate market um yeah i mean i think what you'll see well let me say two things one is that when we had i think it was in 11 or 12 carmageddon when they closed the uh, the 405 because yeah. the bridge, and I was relatively new to LA still. I mean, yeah. this city was freaking out, yeah. and they were talking about the Olympics and yeah. saying that we're gonna have to you know do four week work four four day work weeks and all that. And it was a walk in the park. It was like no one got on the road. There was no traffic because no one you know they just thought it was gonna be the end of the world. Yeah. Um, and I think the same thing. So so from a real real estate perspective, 
I think you're going to have people that are um, smart landlords are going to be targeting those dates, knowing that they want to have whatever tenant they have out of the unit right before the... the, um, To do short-term stuff? Yeah, to do short-term. Do you think, I mean, I don't want to go too deep into real estate. Like I said, that will bore people. But do you think um, Airbnbs and things of that nature are good for the economy per se, bad for the economy? What do you think? Um, I know what you're thinking, that it's like, hey, if we could have um, a nice, I have a nice apartment building, and if I sort of aim out my dates of when leases will be up and I can have it emptied or half empty, I can maximize the premium on instead of charging X, I could do short-term leases. Yeah. But certain municipalities are saying, we're not allowing you to do that. You can't have, like Santa, the city of Santa Monica does not allow for yeah. short-term leases, yeah. as you and uh, I know well. Yeah, exactly. And I think though during that period of time to enforce any of that, um, would be challenging and, and we're talking like, yeah, we're talking homes that normally wouldn't be on the market that someone says, hey, maybe I want my uh, next couple of months of my uh, mortgage paid. Let's let someone stay in for the next month. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned that. I had thought I used to walk a lot um, in Malibu and I would always stop because I was this fascination with real estate and prices. And it's like, oh, look, this is for lease and it's listed on a monthly basis. And it's like 30 something thousand dollars or forty two thousand dollars for a month. And I go, well, it's right on the beach. I go, would spend that kind of money and then when you break it down and you see well wait a minute it's five bedrooms or six bedrooms and now you divide that 30,000 and all of a sudden it's 5,000 for the month and to have a to have the premium time in Malibu in the summer and it's a month is only $5,000 and you break that down to what is that on a daily rate for a family oh that's a good thing yeah. so I wonder if that's where this goes to it, yeah. it, it, it that sort of scene ju- justifies it but you're optimistic, it sounds like, for real estate. Yeah, absolutely. What do we think of developers? Love developers. Um, I love developers, but I also love one of the things I love about Los Angeles are our parks. And you know I'm a big fan of tree people. And so I think what's so unique about this. Wait, area- stop there. A Moline tree branch. <laughs> you just completed something that I'm sorry I couldn't participate in. <laughs> I, as, I, as I told you, if it was any other day, um, I would have been there. But talk about tree people. Talk, tree talk people. About. So it's on Mulholland and Coldwater Canyon. And it used to be a fire station that was located there. And they converted it into um, a group that basically uh, maintains it, its parks, its trails. Um, they're growing throughout Los Angeles. They've got a new uh, like headquarters being built in Calabasas. Um, but they also plant trees throughout the city. And then they'll also... Why does that resonate with you? I love nature. I love, um, I love the... Um, I mean, I, you know me. I go camping, take my kids camping. I think there's no... Yeah, you've asked me, and I think the quote was, <laughs> yeah. if it was any other day. Yeah. yeah, I think it's a special gift that we have to have this natural beauty. And in the middle of Los Angeles, and like the biggest surprise for anyone, a lot of people still don't know about this, is Franklin Canyon um, Park, where you have the duck pond and the turtle pond and all those places. And so I think it's important to preserve all those, um, because as great as Central Park is in Manhattan, 
Um, we just have a lot of really we have hidden treasures. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I mean, people don't know. I yeah. think it's uh, it, it's the reservoir that's up there that people don't know. For all television fans, do you yeah. know what that's famous for? Um, Andy Griffith Show. That's right. I mean, that's that's uh, Myers Lake, if I remember right. Yeah. So that that's that that's there's all kinds of neat things like that that people don't really know. But when you drive around and you look, it's pretty cool. And you feel like you're in a completely different world. You feel like you are far from Los Angeles and even Will Rogers Park off of Sunset. Sure. Um, when you're in there, you'd never know you're near a major city. Correct. Whereas when you're at Bryant Park or some of the parks in Manhattan, and again, I love New York, but you still know you're in the middle of a city. Yeah, you feel um, it. So my point is I love that and I embrace that, but I also love new development. And I think that um, the projects we have coming up are all phenomenal projects. They're all... This is the tree people thing? No, 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 I'm talking about like one Beverly Hills. Oh, one Beverly Hills. Oh, the big, yeah. the big development. Yeah, and okay. I think those are great. They're um, well, I like that because that's meeting everybody's needs. Right. I don't know if they did that out of benevolence and the gen, you know, out of the kindness of their heart, or if they realized the only way that we're going to get this mega billion dollar property done is to take everybody's interest and give everybody a piece of the pie the school part that they're going to have all of the foliage and all of the different abilities for kids to study, you know, the, the, the horticulture for lack of a better word. I don't know if that's exactly the right phrasing, but, but that's a part of this component. Parking's a part of the component. Yeah. Uh, retail's a part of the component. Dining's a part of the component. Um, you know, luxury's a part of the component. It's, and it will be an, a beacon internationally, which draws, which benefits merchants, which benefits everybody. I think everybody's interest is taken into that. And what is it, the Blanc project? Cheval Blanc. I still don't understand that um, as to why something like that wouldn't pass, other than there are a lot of people that go, I like it the way it is. Yeah. Let's slow down the growth. Yeah. And I guess that's fine. Yeah. I just look at it as, but wait, the tax dollars are going to come from and the revenues are going to come from. That might make your life easier as opposed to having a special partial tax assessment or things like yeah. that. But to your point, though, Montage, when it was built, it wasn't um, just you know built as a luxury hotel. There was a lot with the city, which included the subterranean parking, yep. the garage, the building across the way, and then the beautiful um, parkway. Uh, Cannon. Yeah. Cannon Gardens. What do we call that? Cannon Gardens, yeah, that's it. Yeah, and now you've got the uh, summer, um, you know, music. Little concert. I mean, yeah. it's a very small Concerts park, but it's kind of kind of cozy, and it's um, lots of things happen in there. It's a, it, it is It's a great place to be. Yeah. And Beverly Hills, I think, has done a good job of not letting the city fall too far down. Right. Um, whereas Los Angeles has a lot of challenges with just urban issues. Let's just let, let's just call it that. And uh, just to share a fun story, uh, I hadn't been to Manhattan Beach in a while. And uh, Orly and I, uh, after the Rams game on Sunday, we had made a reservation for a restaurant that we had tried in the during the pandemic that you could eat outside. And there's a specific reason I mentioned that, which is they had I learned, thank you, Mary Wells, uh, the word parklet. So they had set up in Manhattan Beach outside of this an outdoor eating area. And I normally rather eat indoors than outdoors, but during the pandemic, okay, this is great. And it was just a fantastic restaurant. I, we were back there, so this is just this last weekend, and all of the parklets are gone, and it's got all the holiday lighting up, and it's just gorgeous. Is it? And the parklets in Beverly Hills are starting to go away, and with the incredible holiday lights. Anybody just stop, don't take them for granted because we're just so lucky that we're here. 
look at those. Mm -hmm. Just stop and look at those. Take a moment. Take your children. Take your friends. Just walk up and down. You don't have to buy anything. You don't have to go. In. Just look at the lights. It's such a great place. And what I find interesting is residents don't mind that. But they, they, they were bothered by, we don't want to have, oh, it'll make more traffic. Yeah. Traffic is not a bad thing if it's merchants yeah. and it's bringing, and that has nothing to do with you. They're not coming down your street to get to this. It was just, it was just interesting. But the certain things that we do in this city are great. But, but you, you do have to point out, because I think if you're going to look at the lights, I think what's most interesting, especially for kids that they get most excited about, is what's hovering above um, Beverly and Wilshire. Who is it? Santa Claus. Exactly. Yeah. And the sleigh. And so, the sleigh. But a lot of people just walk under and they'll miss that. Yeah. Well, me, I'll drive by it a thousand times. and then, But at night, I always take time. Orly and I will go for a drive when everything is done. Because, okay, it's 10 o'clock at night. And just drive up and down the streets. Mm -hmm. Start. I, we go Cannon all the way up, and then come back down. You know, Beverly Drive. Come back up Rodeo. Come to Camden. You know, you hit the one way, and then you you circle it around. It's 15 minutes at the most, yeah. and it's great. And then I was also impressed with South Beverly Drive. Like, wow, look really? at this. Yeah, and these festivals that they're putting on. I just think that it's that it's great. I don't know how that translates into your business in the real estate, uh, other than it is a fabulous community. Mm -hmm. So I, I, you didn't say it. I'm guessing that's part of the draw for you. Now, would you do you like? Would you live here or do? Absolutely. You? Yeah. Absolutely, in a heartbeat. I think the schools are great. I mean, obviously, for all the reasons. Yeah. Um, and and <laughs> yeah, and I'm involved in the schools. You know, yeah. I speak at Career Day right. uh, every year here at Beverly Hills High School. Um, I love it. And it happened because, you know, I felt like when I started working at Montage and I connected with Judy Fenton and then ultimately. Um, Shout out to Judy. Awesome. And to Miles. Yeah. And then um, who was actually who I used to report to. And then we became um, uh, good friends. Um, uh, Jay Newman. Yeah. Yeah. And so. Did he, you know Jay Newman and I went to high school together? Not. Not in a million years. Jay Newman was a. Uh, uh, I don't want to speak out of turn, but I believe he was involved with ownership of the montage. Yeah, so he yeah, so he was with that. His was Athens Group, and then you had um, Ohana, which is Piero Midiar, yeah. who owns eBay or founded eBay. Um, so that was the primary ownership. So I would report to them every quarter. And then when I left and went to Hilton and Highland, he and I stayed in touch. But he and Judy are really the reason that I um, – had became chairman of the chamber. They were both my sponsors for Rotary. And so, and I think the absolute world of both of those two people. Great people. So, and before we, before we wrap up, what, what are you, what are your goals? Where do you see yourself in five years and 10 years? To still be here, um, to still be in real estate, um, to have my kids getting ready to go to college. Uh, if that's the route they choose to go, um, I do love the idea. Like my dream job is actually to be a general contractor. Like really? I, I, I love being on projects. Well, that's real estate. That's building. Yeah. That makes sense. That's yeah. kind of fits your personality. I love architecture. I love all that. So if I could like write my own path, it would stay in real estate, go on that route. Um, have and one more day develop a project. Yeah. And, and do those. And, um, whether I hate the word flipping because I don't want it to be like buy an old fixer, make it look nice and make a profit. Like I'd want to make a real impact. Yeah. Um, on those. And that's why Reggie Soli, I'm such a fan of his because the work they do at McCoy is absolutely, you know, 
perfection. Yeah. Um, so, and I think having a specialty in the mid-century modern arena for that type of work is what we I could would talk love to about do. that too. And then I find it interesting. You know, homeowners associations serve a great purpose, and that you can't paint a house purple or green, and they kind of look the same, and you're comfortable with that. On the other, it's kind of interesting that you'll go in up and down some of the residences in Beverly Hills and you'll see a mid-century type modern like you mm -hmm. described you'll see a 1930s home that's just large and magnificent that's a you know a Tudor or something yeah. and then you'll see a Mediterranean you'll see all these different styles and on one hand it's like no that doesn't fit on the other it fits perfect so yeah. that's kind of cool i hope and wish for you nothing but success and i more importantly find a great project to do because i have i have no doubts yours will have environmental thoughts to it it will be conscious of that it will have a certain charles black style <laughs> and you know if if you need to um really meet a quality person i recommend find charles black you know, really, really a good dude. So, thank Charles, you. thank you for joining the Mostly Banther podcast. I hope you'll listen to this episode. You know it, and it'll and it'll be fun. So, it thanks. Will, for your I will support. tell you, it will. Your your listeners in Shreveport, Louisiana, will increase by maybe uh, you know probably one hundred fifty percent. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, maybe, yeah, <laughs> maybe. But thanks for what you do. I mean that. I mean that seriously. Thanks for being a value part of the community. And you know, you you. I don't want to think that you're done to serving the community. No. One day, something more may. Maybe, and maybe council, maybe something different, who knows. But it, you're just a treasure to me and a treasure to our community. So thanks for doing this. The feelings are mutual. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today's episode of the Mostly Banter podcast. Big thanks to KBEV Studios for hosting us and our executive producer, Colby Gallardian, for making this episode possible. I'm Michael Moline. See you next time.